0: Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tatsun Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Todd Miller. He's the president at Isaiah Industries, Inc., So Todd, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Well, thank you for uh, very much for this opportunity. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing a little bit.
0: Yeah. And you have a fairly diverse background in many different aspects. Uh, On top of, you know, being part in growing your family business. I mean, were you kind of an entrepreneur at heart from an early age?
1: Yeah, I would say I was, I always have been, and, and my father was, so I guess I got it honest. So the, the company I'm with now was started by my father back in 1980, and I've been here full-time since 86.
0: Yeah, I mean, did you ever think about doing anything else?
1: Um, you know, my my heart has always been kind of with marketing and public relations, marketing, sales, uh, that's kind of where my heart's always been. So I've gotten to live that out through the organization here and always had a great team that uh, has taken care of other parts of the business. And eh, really today I got a great team in, in sales and marketing as well. So um, I get to hang out and do fun things like talk to you. <laughs> that's awesome. Marketing. I mean, that's that's where I
0: started and that's where my heart is as well. So Is it really? Oh, very good. Absolutely. <laughs> so that partially answers some of my questions because I've noticed, you know, as you you know been part of this company and you're growing it, that there's lots of marketing things that have happened over the years, such as new, different websites on
1: tiny homes and stuff like that. Were those a you know result of your efforts? Um, a lot of it has been. I mean, we've kind of recognized so as a manufacturer of what we call specialty residential metal roofing, we're we're kind of opposite scale from you, I mean, you're more commercial and low slope, if I'm not mistaken, and more steep slope and metal. But, you know, one of the things we've recognized is there's a lot of kind of niche markets uh, that are using metal roofing. And so, yeah, we've developed a couple of specialty websites really to make for a better experience for those customers. So if someone does come to us uh, looking for like you mentioned, a tiny home roof. Uh, We've got a website out there for uh, homeowners associations who are looking at options. We've got websites for some other specialty markets like religious facilities. So, you know, what we wanted to do was so if someone was looking for information, they could find a very personalized uh, experience through our websites and through our, our specialty websites. Got it.
0: So I mean, sometimes people would put some of that content on on a main site, but you've chose to sort of spin those out. How does that how did that work overall? Is that sort of SEO more SEO friendly or what were your thoughts on creating a dedicated site for those specific areas?
1: Well, there is still some information on the main websites um, for those audiences as well. A lot of times, Uh, We handle that through blog posts or other content that then links to those outside sites. Frankly, sometimes the, the specialty sites are used. So if someone comes to us through one of our main websites and they say, gee whiz, I'm looking for something on tiny home roofing, I've got a very specific website to just send them right to. So they kind of, you know, get the idea that, okay, these people know a little bit about this area of work. And again, gives them a bit of a more personal sort of experience that's really targeted toward exactly what they're looking for at that time.
0: Sure. Being able to show expertise without diluting the core
1: focus, I guess. Sure. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it.
0: Yeah. And then also I noticed uh, lots of different acquisitions over the years. Is that you know, something that your father started, or is that something that has been a priority for you? (laughs)
1: I want to say that it was kind of, what do they say that? Necessity is the mother of invention. (laughs) When when you don't have enough money to go out and develop your own new products, you go out and buy products that other people spent the big bucks on and for some reason are no longer interested in them. So yeah, I mean, that literally is how most of our growth has occurred. We've got such specialty products and You know, over the years, there have been some of the very big name companies like the Alcoa's and the Kaisers and the Reynolds and the U.S. Steels that have kind of ventured into metal roofing in one way or another as a product that they manufactured. And, you know, they spent a lot of money developing really good products and then for whatever reason, you know, a few years down the road, maybe the focus of their company changed, or maybe they simply didn't want to be in fabricated products anymore. They were willing to sell those products. And so that's the, the bulk of our product lines we picked up in that way. And and so, you know, they they kind of spent the big dollars developing good products. And then we came in and bought used equipment at a fraction of that <laughs> I mean, was it a, a thing that they approached you or is it uh,
0: you saw that happening and, and reached out? Like, how did it kind of go down?
1: It's been a little bit of both. I mean, over the different deals we've done, there have been some of both. Yes, there have been some where they specifically came to us and said, hey, would you be interested in talking? And then there have been others where, you know, we simply made contact. And, you know, on those others, sometimes. There were things happening in the market or rumors we'd heard through the grapevine that kind of led us to believe, yeah, they may be looking at, you know, changing strategy here. And so I I don't think I don't know that I've ever, it's kind of odd. That's interesting, Tats. I don't think I've ever reached out to a company and had them say, No, we don't want to talk. <laughs> I remember one time I went to kind of a third party and said, Hey, do you think this company would be interested in talking? And that person said, no, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't be. So I just let it drop. But pretty much a conversation, easy way to start, right? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, you know, so what we have done, and you kind of mentioned all of our websites. So with Isaiah Industries being our corporate name, now I'm going to make an analogy here that is completely ridiculous because... We are by no means at this size of company. But let you know, if you thought of General Motors, you know, that's our Isaiah Industries. And then we manufacture some brands underneath that that all fall under the Isaiah umbrella. And so that's our classic metal roofing brand, our Castle and Irons brand, and our Green American home brand. So that would kind of be like Buick Chevy and GMC to General Motors again, a ridiculous analogy.
0: Yeah. So from there, I think not just products, but you have some distribution aspect to your business.
1: Well, we do. So, Texas has always been a really strong market for us and I think one of the things that we've seen happen in Texas is it's a market that adopted metal roofing fairly early on a number of years ago and, you know, a couple of reasons for that one it's a hail market so they were looking for more resilient roofing materials. I think another reason was it can also be a hurricane market. So they're looking for wind resistance as well. So one of our very first customers that uh, we had picked up when the company was started was a distribution facility in Dallas. And uh, we had a great relationship with that company for many years. And then a few years ago, I guess about five years ago, the owner came to us, said, you know, I think it's time for me to retire. And, um, you know, he was saying, you know what? Would you guys be interested in, in my operation? We said, yeah, absolutely. And so that allowed us to pick uh, up our and have control over our own distribution in that marketplace, which allows us to better meet customer needs there um, because it is a pretty significant market force. Pretty much every place else in the country, though we we ship really a lot of times job lot size orders from the factory here in Ohio. But in Dallas with that facility, we're able to ship full truckloads there that then you know get broken down and distributed to our various customers in in Texas and Oklahoma as well, I guess,
0: yeah, absolutely. Now, I know you use social media and you have a podcast as well. How does
1: that all fit into this? Sometimes I'm not quite sure, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I was thinking yesterday, hope springs eternal in the mind and heart of a podcaster because you're always hoping it you know allows you to tap into folks and develop a little bit more of a presence. And so we had started our podcast almost two years ago. It's a show called, construction disruption. Um, I've got some great team members who kind of pull it all off for us, but uh, just like you do. But we kind of focus on bringing guests on who are either current or we think future disruptors in the design or construction industries. And so what we're always saying is we're trying to sort of uncover what that industry looks like in the future. But honestly, one of the things that drove us to that, and I really think this is a lot of your impetus uh, through what you do with your, uh, with specified as well, you know, we looked at the industry, uh, construction as a whole, and we didn't see a lot of new people coming into our industry for careers. And so we really wanted to develop a way to uh, get some information out there that, you know, shows that construction really is an extremely diverse industry. It's a very uh, resilient industry. It's a very growing and changing industry. And so that was really kind of our, our goal was, I guess, kind of altruistic to some degree was just to get the word out there about the good thing that's happening in construction. Because if we hit a point that we got no one coming into our industry new, we got a problem. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of why, why we, why we developed that. And it's been a blast. I'm sure just like you, I've learned so much. Uh, We recorded a show this morning and had a gentleman from toronto actually who is a fire expert he works for seneca college head of their fire prevention engineering technology program and um, just a fascinating guy and and i learned so much about things that those of us in the construction industry need to be thinking about in terms of the safety of the occupants of our buildings and one of his areas of expertise that fascinated me is kind of looking at and understanding the behavior of people if they are caught in a building that is on fire. Oh. And what do those people naturally do? And you know one of the things he mentioned was your inclination is if you got to get away, you go back toward that door you came in. but oftentimes that is not the closest door for your or the safest door. The other thing he told me that that surprised me, was he said generally if people are caught in a building that's on fire they stay pretty calm he said you usually don't see a lot of panicking now he said if if suddenly they hit an exit door and it's locked or they can't figure out how to get out the exit then you'll start to see some panic set in but he said generally people flow pretty orderly when there's a fire so eh, that was good news i guess on on human nature
0: yeah that is um also i i see some of the video content you put put out on advice on marketing and sales and and in a, w- a way to sort of i think you have a newsletter or something that that teaches mm-hmm. people on that what was the thought there
1: so we've got a newsletter we publish twice a month called the residential metal roofing executive report and actually we have a lot of just home improvement contractors that uh, subscribe to it and there again You know, we're just trying to deliver ways to make them more successful. Um, One of the things that we recognize as a manufacturer, and I'm sure you do also, we don't sell anything. It's our customers who sell our product. So our whole point of being has to be to support, um, build up, and try to make sure our customers are successful. Um, because if they are not successful, we're not successful. And so that was kind of the reason reason for developing that newsletter. Um, but but yeah, we do a lot, um, even with just developing video content for people to find on the internet if they're researching various aspects of our product. One of the things that that has really been high on my mind a lot recently is I was sitting in a meeting a while back and there was a young lady who I respect a lot. She's from the digital marketing realm. And, you know, of course, those of us, you know, know that there's a lot of people out there willing to sell you their digital marketing skills, some better than others, but, but she made the point. She said, you know, And and she kind of gravitated towards something I had said several years ago, that it felt like all this content development on the internet was a race to fill up the internet. And (laughs) in essence, what she said was, we've kind of hit that point. Now, literally, is the internet full? No. But her point was that if someone goes out and searches for something, they quickly come back with more information than they can possibly consume about that topic. And so her point was that now, instead of just content development, really even instead of SEO and all the types of things we do to to try to allow our websites be seen, she said it's really more um, about the customer experience. So getting them on your website and you've got, you know, they say three to five, I think usually it's about two seconds to prove to them that you've got the information they're looking for. And, you know, even once you draw them in from that point, if you're able to keep them from bouncing right away, even at that point, it's still about their experience with your company. Yes, I was kind of thinking, so for many years, a lot of us in marketing had said marketing is kind of a mix of science and art. And, you know, for a number of years, it was all about the sciences. We developed all the digital strategies and everything. But now it feels like it's going to be about art for a little while. Now, are there new digital strategies on the horizon with AI and things that are going to have an impact on us? Absolutely. But for most of us, those aren't quite here yet. So right now, it's more about the art and, you know, how do you pull that customer in? How do you quickly engage them? How do you ensure them that you're the company they're looking for? And and I can blather on forever about this, but, you know, one of the things I saw happening with a lot of the folks out there, you know, selling you their digital solutions was, they wanted to make your website basically a big lead capture form. And so you'd go to the website and basically all be about give me your information. I'll call you. Now, every once in a while, there's the consumer who says, yeah, that's where I'm at. But most consumers got to your website, not thinking I want anyone to call me yet. I want to make sure this is the right company. So we need to be thinking about what that first impression is, how personalized that is to the consumer, and whether we're able to then pull them into a relationship. Yeah, for sure.
0: Now obviously you have a deep interest in marketing and and you said you have a team now and stuff like that how do you spend your time? Where do you make an impact in terms of your day-to-day? Because what it sounds like is you have teams in all areas covering the operating aspects of things.
1: You know, I I do a lot of checking in with folks and, you know, a lot of coaching, a lot of trying to find out what they're struggling with at that moment, um, maybe what their challenges are. But I confess, I'm also the crazy guy that occasionally brings them some harebrained ideas. And sometimes they tell me, you know, Todd, nice idea. That's probably not going to work. And I fully accept that. I've started to keep a notebook on my desk just full of crazy ideas, but I just you know, I I think that we always all have to be looking to push the envelope. And, you know, sometimes when I go to a team member with an idea that's a little far-fetched, I know it's far-fetched and I know it's not going to happen, but my goal right then and there is to get them thinking a little bit ahead. Okay. Miller's crazy with this idea, but maybe it allows us to jump over that and go to something else. That's also good. So I think a lot of the role that leader plays is kind of inspiring and encouraging the creativity. And of course, you know, recognizing the creativity in your team and rewarding and and congratulating for that as well. Absolutely. What's your craziest idea that worked? (laughs) Okay, this one was not, I don't remember that this one well, I think maybe it was mine. Okay. So we all remember back when the video iPods first came out from Apple, and it was a little iPod that had just been used for music, and suddenly it had a tiny little video screen on there. So we had a about, and they were pretty expensive, I mean, 800 bucks, 1,000 bucks, we had a number of contractors across the country that were in our sites as companies we were really targeting that we wanted to try to build a relationship with. And so what we did was we bought each one of them, one of these iPods, and we recorded a personalized video message on there for them, inviting them to an event we were having, if I remember right. But you know, it, it was expensive. I mean, I think I bought 20 of these things that, however much they cost. But what I did find was it caught people's attention. And the funniest one is out of those 20, I can think of one. And I think there might be a couple of others who is indeed a a customer of ours today. And the funny thing was, he often told me, he said, Todd, I got that thing from you. And I didn't have a clue what that thing was (laughs) uh, or what to do with it. But suddenly I got it to work and there you guys popped up and, uh, he came to the event we were promoting and you know he's one of our uh, not only our one of our top dealers in the country, he's one of our best friends also. Wonderful. That's a great story.
0: I mean, you, you talked about some of the trends upcoming about you know the focus on arts and stuff like that. But give me an example of what you're referring to. Like what what is gonna become more important going forward that's not on the Algorithmic uh, AI <laughs> side, but more the art side that you're referring to.
1: You know, I think it is that personalized experience. So, you know, I, I think we're we're going to see more and more personalized landing pages. So, so one of the things that have really caught my attention, and frankly, for the last ten years, they've just anno- annoyed the bejesus out of me. <laughs> um is QR codes. Mm. I mean, I got to admit when they first came out, I didn't really get it and they just annoyed me seeing these things pop up. But, you know, what we're finding now is a lot of companies very successfully um using QR codes um, you know, on job signs, on particular job sites might have a customized QR code. Uh, on their vehicles, obviously on all of their advertising. So I think one of the biggest challenges companies have that, and this probably applies more to B2C, uh, which is kind of that realm I tend to, to gravitate toward, but I think it works for B2B too. But you know, just that idea that, okay, I I use their QR code, and I immediately get taken to a website that is very customized to exactly what I'm thinking about at that moment, and exactly what problem I'm, I'm trying to solve. And so I just think a lot of that art is going to be in really analyzing, you know, what is that customer's attitude when they come to you. So, One of the challenges we have. So a lot of the products we manufacture don't look like metal roofs. So we've manufactured products that may look like slate roofing or wood shake roofing or even asphalt shingles. And so you you take a typical consumer out there, they're thinking, you know, I need to roof. I heard I, I need a new roof for my house. I've heard about this thing called metal roofing. In their mind, though, when they think metal roofing, they really are thinking more traditional vertical seam metal roofs like they've seen on commercial buildings or maybe agricultural or industrial buildings. They're not really thinking our product. So one of the challenges we have is they they type in metal roofing and maybe us or one of our dealer's websites or one of our subsites comes up, they click on it. And they, if they're immediately greeted by content and photos that don't look like what they thought they were searching for, I I got a problem because they're going to back out of that real quick. Now, I may have something that once I can get them to actually pay attention to me, they may absolutely go bonkers over and fall in love with, but I've got to think about that initial foray onto my website and and try to grab them with either showing them what they came there to see and then trying to flip them or immediately some sort of imagery or content that immediately says hey i understand you're looking for a metal roof here's a metal did you know a metal roof could look like this and so that's the type of thing that i think that where that art comes into play that we all got to be thinking about um, what is exactly that customer experience yeah for sure
0: now speaking of customer experience you have dealers you have installers how do you work that network because obviously any weak part of the chain affects the reputation of the business How, how do you manage that over the years how where have you gotten to with that
1: so we do, we, we really try to have close relationships with our, what we call our dealers out there. And for us, a dealer is a typically someone who came out of the home improvement industry. It's a contractor and maybe they had always done siding or windows or room additions. And they had always avoided roofing like the plague because they didn't think they could make money at roofing. And so we try to get those guys in, involved and show them how they can be successful you know, financially and otherwise for their business with our products. So we've got the country broken down into six different areas, um, territories, and each one has a territory manager. And a little bit overlap here, but also a customer support person, and so that territory manager is charged with building relationships with the dealers in those markets where we've got gaps and need new dealers. Uh, that person is charged with trying to find new dealers, and then the customer support person does all the day-to-day, you know, processing orders. <laughs> getting leads to them if we generate a homeowner lead that's appropriate for them, um, all that type of day-to-day stuff. But our real goal is, you know, to have that close relationship with them. Um, And then we provide a lot of in-depth training on how to sell our products, the in-home sales presentation. We have a fully scripted about a two-hour in-home sales presentation. that We train our dealers how to use. We train them how to market, how to generate leads. We've got scripts on appointment setting. Um, That's kind of a pet peeve of mine too is, you know, contractor has someone call in and uh, they want to talk to a salesperson. That that is such a critical moment for that contractor, and a lot of times they kind of divert it to whoever happened to answer the phone instead of having a you know a professional call room with professional appointment setters who know how to, in essence, sell the idea that that homeowner needs to have them come to their home to look at things. You know and and we've got full installation training division as well. We have um about fifteen thousand square feet here in Ohio, uh, where we train people how to install our products. And then we also do a fair amount of going out to job sites and and training on job sites as well. One of the things that is a reality, I mean metal is gaining market share pretty rapidly. it's up to a seventeen percent share of the residential re-roofing market. But the reality is a lot of contractors want to be able to say that they do metal because they know that it's growing, but I see a lot of contractors have bad experiences with that first couple of metal jobs and they're like, "Yeah, I'm not going to do one of those again." And you know, it really was because they didn't know how to sell the value, they didn't know how to price it right. They didn't know how to install it efficiently, and those really are the three things that we come alongside a contractor and help them be able to do all three of those things, sell the value of it, uh, price it properly, and install it.
0: Sure, absolutely. Is there anything that um I did not cover, but you want to talk about it?
1: Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground here. Oh, I will. I will give a shameless plug if I can, Tats. Um, I'm not quite sure how quickly you will publish this episode, but we are holding our annual Metal Roofing Summit, April 25th through 27th in Dayton, Ohio. And that is open to anyone who either is involved in metal roofing um, or is interested in metal roofing and we just have some great speakers lined up uh we literally never talk about our products it's all about you know just bringing them good content to help them be successful i've even had several competitors come to it it's just a great time so people can learn more about that at metalroofingsummit.com perfect
0: Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash tats talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes.